Well, happy Sunday. Welcome to church, everybody, wherever you're watching from. Trust that you're going to have an amazing day today. Uh, we're in week three of our series called Potty Mouth. Um, I love making series that have just funny titles on them. I feel like it makes it intriguing. Um, and I just wanted to say, really, uh, as we go through this month, we're in week three now. And I want to say thanks for not skipping. Um, I mean, I know that sometimes when we have some teaching series and they can get a little bit real, sometimes they can get a little bit into your business. Um, and so I just wanted to say thanks to everybody for continuing on as we go through this topic and really talking about our words and the power that our words have. I want to give a huge shout out to Tim. He absolutely smashed it last week. I mean, when we gave him the topic of lying, um, I feel that most people would probably feel a little bit of a challenge with it because it can be somewhat of an abrasive topic, but I knew that Tim would absolutely crush it um, and he definitely did. So if you haven't had a chance to watch that, you definitely, definitely need to hop onto our YouTube page and give that a watch because it was a phenomenal message. I mean, really in a nutshell, in probably 40 minutes, Tim took us through really the message of transformation of the New Testament in in a sense, as he talked to us about truth and deception and how the, the root of deception can often, uh, you know, we talked about lying. So it's the root of deception that can often challenge us where being honest, truthful people is. So phenomenal message. Definitely, definitely give it a listen to. And so we're in week three now talking about words. And it's so valuable to us to talk about words because the scripture is really the basis for us, how it tells us that our words, the power of our words, has the power to create either life or death in our situations. It also goes on to tell us that it's from the outflow of our hearts, that whatever is in our hearts, we can see it based off of what are the words that come out of our mouths. And so we really wanted to take a little bit of time to, you know, to tackle this. And, you know, as I was preparing for how many weeks we were going to spend on this, people are saying like, how many weeks are we going to spend talking about our words? And I was like, you know, maybe, you know, if we spend four or maybe five, you know, years, uh, then we can probably start to tackle sometimes the challenge that we can face where, getting our words under control is. And so before I get started though, I wanted to say happy, happy Father's Day to all the dads. I know that I'm one of the many people that has said it, hopefully one of the many people in your lives that has said it to you. If you're a dad, that is, I'm a dad and I forced my daughter this morning to say happy Father's Day to me. I don't know if that counts. It certainly felt like it counted for me. Um, but anyways, happy Father's Day to all the dads, especially to my dad. I uh, wouldn't be the person that I am today without you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to be your kid. So grateful to get to live life with you. Happy Father's Day. So let's hop in and get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your presence in our lives, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your compassion and your grace in our everyday lives. In every one of our situations as we walk through life, we know that you are with us hand in hand in every situation that we face. We're so grateful for that, that you've empowered us to, to, to know the truth and to speak the truth and watch as that truth affects our everyday lives and our situations. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So 
to, to, to kind of jump into this message series that we have today, I wanted to start uh, with really something that's very common to all of us. And, and I'm sure that it's something that we've all done. And I guess I could say it like this, that, that I could guarantee you that for each and every one of us right now, if you were to do this, if you were to, you know, open up your phone and you were to go to your Instagram page, you were to go to your Facebook page, you go to your photos feed or what, however you store your memories. And I can guarantee you that each of you could find a photo in there where you look happy. You know, you maybe it's a picture of you and you're on a beach somewhere. Maybe you're out to a really nice dinner. Maybe you're on a boat and you're just cruising with the wind just in your hair as you're just soaking up this amazing experience. But if I was to ask you the backstory behind this, chances are all of us have had these experiences where uh, we're, we, we should be having a good time. We should be happy but actually we're complaining and this is kind of this one moment snapshot where we smile like everything is good and then we go back to the challenges of our lives and i, I know that i've been there i know that you have been there and when i think about complaining in the bible i mean i'm sure i'm not alone in this but immediately i think about the israelites right the israelites this complicated, complex group of chosen by God individuals. And, you know, one of their probably most famous stories is the story of the Exodus. We, we know that, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob was really tight with the Egyptians. And, you know, out of Jacob came all of these descendants and all of these nations to the place where the Egyptian pharaohs felt threatened. And so their solution to this growing strong population of Israelites was to make them slaves. And then Israel goes on to spend 430 years as slaves. And all this while, if you read through the account, the Israelites are complaining and grumbling about their slavery, right? They knew their story, they knew their history, they knew who they were supposed to be, and all the while they found themselves complaining and grumbling about the current situation that they were in. Fast forward a few hundred years, I guess, and we're introduced to this man named Moses. And Moses shows up on the scene and through the power of God, Moses becomes the deliverer of the Israelites. And so the Israelites, 430 years of slavery, they're delivered, you know, and, and then we kind of go through this period of time of like, you know, after the 10 plagues that God sends in order to kind of ruffle the feathers of Pharaoh, after God parts the Red Sea, after he drowns Pharaoh's army, after he feeds them manna, after, you know, when they're thirsty, they drink water from a rock. After they're walking in their clothes and their sandals, their shoes never wear out. You would think that this would be the happiest population in the entire world. Like you were slaves for 430 years. Now you have all these amazing things happen. You're delivered. You come out with all this gold and all this stuff and God is just on the scene. You eat from the ravens and food falls from the sky. You drink water. Surely you have nothing to complain about him. And we, you know, so after the miracles and, you know, after God answers their complaints that they're in slavery, 
What did God's people do? And here's the thing. The Israelites did the same thing that they had always done. They whined, they griped, and they complained. In fact, this is what it says, the account that's given in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. It says this. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Right? I mean, like, that is, you know, complaining to the, you know, exponential of a million. Okay? Like, is it that there was not enough graves in Egypt for us to just die there? They said, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Now, Remember, they weren't in Egypt, you know, on vacation. They weren't, you know, sipping, you know, uh, pina coladas on the, the beaches. They were slaves. So he says, what have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? We didn't say to you in Egypt, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So this is 430 years of slavery and God does these miraculous miracles and Israel essentially does, encounters a little bit of a challenge and out of the challenge, they grumble and they complain. And, and, and I want to take a little bit of time today as we dig in and, and, and I hope that you don't mind this. I'm, I'm really intentionally wanting this teaching series to, to be practical. And, you know, as much as you know, I, I, I don't want uh, you to feel guilty or to hurt your feelings, I, I want it to be a moment really of reckoning for us as we really dig in and observe our lives. And today I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking, if we fast forward a little bit into Exodus chapter 16, verse 8. Uh, uh, Moses makes the statement and it says this, that you are not grumbling against us, but you're grumbling against the Lord. And I want to teach from this place this morning, really by asking this question, like what if when we complain that it's not against our circumstance, it's not against our situation, it's not against our challenge or our trouble, what about if when we complain, it was directly against the Lord? What if it was directly against Jesus? And like I said, my, my hope isn't that, you know, you wouldn't feel guilty. And maybe some of you feel guilty already. You're like, oh man, like I, I complained this morning because my kids were made me late as we got out the door. Or, you know, I complained because they were out of the donuts at the office the other day. Or, you know, I complained because I got abruptly woken up this morning because my neighbor decided that 6 a.m. was the perfect time, was the perfect light to mow my lawn. Or maybe you complained just this morning that of the challenge that church and life still isn't back to normal. But like I said, I, I want to be practical this morning and, and ask us this question. You know, what in life do we complain about the most? What do you complain about the most? What is it? What's that topic? What's that challenge that you find yourself complaining about regularly you know maybe you find yourself complaining because you're not married you know that 
you know, you're getting older in life and you're not married and, you know, you're challenged and struggled as you watch other people around you get married or even the summertime as you hear and you know that it's wedding season. You find yourself just complaining about not getting married or maybe you are married and you're complaining about the fact that you are married and you wish that you weren't married because your spouse drives you crazy or maybe you complain about your boss because your boss is either, you know, too overbearing or too distant or maybe you complain about the meetings that you have and you think that they're useless or maybe you complain because your money is tight or maybe you just generally complain about people maybe you're one of those Facebook warriors and you're just constantly have something to say about every possible situation maybe it's not even big things that we complain about Maybe we find ourselves regularly complaining that the weather is bad or that we're so frustrated in life because the Wi-Fi is slow or there's just nothing on Netflix to binge watch anymore. And here's the deal as we get practical is I want to clarify that, listen, the problem isn't the weather. The problem isn't your Wi-Fi. The problem isn't that, you know, Netflix has been really slow on releasing good content lately. What I want to focus on today is, is the main problem of complaining. And that is that Satan, our enemy, has this ability to take our eyes off of the goodness of God and place it onto ourselves. And let me be clear with this, that this alone, taking our eyes off of the goodness of God and placing it onto ourselves and our situations, this alone is what leads to a constant curse of complaining. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of time and we're going to read a text that's been written by the Apostle Paul. And if you've done any reading or any research into the life of the Apostle Paul, you'll know that if anyone in the course of human history, right, like if anybody earned a complaining pass, Paul is the guy, right? Like if you've read his story, you know that this guy, if there was something bad to go through, the Apostle Paul went through it and went through it in the most excruciating, spectacular, unfortunate way. In the, the passage of text that we're going to focus on here, you know, Paul had, in one instance, he had always dreamed of going to Rome as a preacher, right? Paul knew and he knew that, the, the, that if you were going to impact the world, that you did it through impacting Rome, that, that Rome was the major player, they were the major city in the world, and if you could affect Rome, if you had this innate ability now to affect change throughout the entire globe. And Paul dreamt of going to Rome as a preacher. But in the passage of scripture that we're going to read, he doesn't go to Rome as a preacher. In fact, Paul goes to Rome a prisoner. Now, not just any prisoner, but he went, you know, shackled and chained and humiliated and truthfully awaiting a possible execution. And Paul then goes on to spend two years chained 
24 hours a day to Roman guards. Now, like I said, let's get practical. If this was me, and I had this amazing dream of going to some new country as a preacher to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I find myself not preaching, but in prison, I gotta tell you something, I'm gonna have a thing or two to say about it, right? Like I'm thinking, I'm like crying out to God, like God, this just isn't fair. Or like, I served you. I served you faithfully. I've lived my life. I've sacrificed for you. God, where are you? Right? I'm sure that Paul, in a moment or two of his life, had the thoughts, you know, like, God, I'm serving you. And, and, and I'm here laying on the floor, and the floor is hard, and the food is bad, and, you know, my back aches. And this Roman guard that I'm chained to, he hasn't showered in a week, and this dude smells horrible. And it was in this situation, this circumstance, this challenging environment that Paul penned this passage, this letter to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, it starts out and says this, Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing. <laughs> I want to go as a preacher. I'm here as a prisoner. I'm chained. I'm humiliated. My back hurts. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now here's the deal, I wanna spend some time and obviously we're gonna talk about a whole bunch of spiritual reasons as to why we don't complain. And we're gonna unpack this passage of scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote to us. But I gotta tell you, there's also some pretty amazing practical reasons why we should live a life where we try our absolute best not to complain. And, you know, I read this, you know, a kind of a, a, an excerpt from this book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And it's from a guy, his name is Dr. Travis Bradbury. And he goes through and talks really just about complaining, talks about a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things about complaining, he says, he makes a statement, he says that repetitive complaining hardwires our brain to do more complaining, right? So the more that we complain, the more that our brain expects to find situations to complain about, right? He tells us that the reason that this is because it's often easier for us to find the negative things in life compared to finding the positive things in life. And, and what he says is, is that this is because we, we end up developing this thing that he calls a confirmation bias. And what a confirmation bias is, is that we, very simply put, we interpret our circumstances through a lens of our preconceived ideas or notions. So, in English, it's when we expect something bad to happen, we end up getting that bad thing because 
we interpret our situation through the lens of our preconceived ideas. And, you know, maybe you feel that way about church today. You know, I, I tell you something, this is what I say generally to new people that I meet. If I meet them before service, I say like, you know, do your very best to dump out all your ideas of what you thought church was going to be this morning. Because here's the truth. Nobody can come to church expecting church to be bad and it turns out to be good. I mean, oftentimes if you come to church and you expect church to be bad, you're going to find reasons why church is bad. Just like if you go into church and expect it to be good, you're going to be searching for the things that make church good, right? This is what the Israelites did. They had a, a negative, complaining, grumbling mindset. And so even though amazing things were happening in their lives, Life, all they saw was what was wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk around life expecting to find bad things, right? I mean, here's the truth. Like, there's already enough bad, challenging, difficult, trying things happening in the world. And so what I want to do is I want to train my mind to find things that are good, to find things that are lovely, to find things that are that glorify the Lord, to find things that, that bring me joy, to find things that find me that bring me peace. I don't want to I don't want to have my mind set on searching for all the things that are wrong with the situation. No, I want to train myself to seek out the good. And honestly, if we were to look at what Paul said in the majority of the letters that he wrote to different churches, Paul really spends the majority of his time, I mean, this is a very simplified version of it, but he spends the majority of his time speaking two main messages. And that's what I'd like to unpack for us today. The very first thing, main, the, the, very, the, the, the first main message that Paul really talks to us about is, is this concept of, you know, like, if you can change your circumstances, change them, right? Like, like if, you can, if you can do something about the negative situation that you're in, don't just like sit back and wait for it to change. Do something about it to change it, right? Like, like here's the deal. Talking about complaining doesn't mean that we're just going to walk around in life pretending that everything is okay, because here's the deal. It's not. We, it, it, this doesn't mean in order to be a positive person, it doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye to every negative thing that happens in life, right? Like, can I tell you, it's not complaining when you notice that something isn't right, right? It's like Nehemiah in the scriptures when he goes to build the walls, right? Like, like he notices that something is wrong. And instead of complaining about it, he realized that there's something practical that I can do to make this situation better. And so instead of sitting back and grumbling and whining and complaining, he goes out and begins to do something about the situation. Okay? And I'll tell you something. Oftentimes, we find our calling in life through things that we are righteously dissatisfied with. 
Like, what's that thing that fires you up? What's that thing that makes you, oh, just angry? Like, you wish this thing never happened. What's that thing that arises in you with such passion, right? Oftentimes, that's a great way to find our calling. So, it's not complaining to acknowledge that there's bad things happening in the world. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, like, look, when you notice negative things happening in life and you can change them, change them. Then he goes on to talk to us about the second thing is, but if you can't change your circumstances, right? If you find yourself in a situation right now that you can't change, that no matter how much you wanted to change, that maybe you've done everything you can do and the situation still hasn't changed. Paul tells us that when we can't change our circumstances, we need to change our perspective, right? We need to change what we think about it. We need to change what we say about it. We need to change the way that we interact with it. We need to change the way that we, that, that, that when we walk into this situation, what's our expectation of what's going to happen? And, and this is what we read about in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 18. It says this, right? Like, here's Paul being honest about his situation, okay? Like, he's struggling. He's being challenged. He's a prisoner when he wanted to be a preacher. And he's going on to talk about all the positive things that God can do. And then in verse 17, he says this, but even if, right? Like how many of you know that, you know, that was like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the Old Testament. They're like, our God will save us and he's going to come through. And then they're like, but even if, right? Like even if he doesn't, Right? It's a matter of saying that, listen, my attitude, my posture, my decision, my mentality, this is not built on some fickle situational experience. Paul's saying, listen, I mean, I, I want this to go a certain way. I want it to be a certain thing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and the service coming from your faith, I am glad. He said, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, it's kind of a funny thing in our culture to say that, you know, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, it's not necessarily something that's overly relatable to in our generation, given that we don't perform the same, you know, uh, 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 you know, rituals or the same, you know, uh, celebrations or feasts or all the different things that the Israelites did. And, and when Paul uses this word, this phrase poured out like a drink offering comes from one Greek word and, and the Greek word is spendo, right? Spendo. And, and, and this word, what it means is, is that what the priests would do in, you know, Paul's time as they were kind of coming to their different feasts where they would do the sacrifices is, is that they would put the, put the animals that had been sacrificed onto onto the altar and that they these were going to be burned 
for you know whatever the purification of the sins all the different things that they would do and and then what they would do is they would take one of the, 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 the most expensive liquids, right? The most sought after expensive liquids. This would typically be either honey or it would be wine. And what they would do is they would take these expensive liquids and they would pour them onto this like hot burning altar that has these animals burning on them. And you know, just like if you've ever like at a campfire taken water and poured it onto the campfire, what happens is all of a sudden it just billows out with smoke. You know, some people think that as Paul was writing this, he was talking about his ultimate martyrdom. But if you look at the, the, this word, it's, it's a verb and the, the way the verb is written is that it's, it is a passive present tense. And what Paul is saying is, he's talking about like, I am being poured out, right? Not his ultimate martyrdom, not like one day that when I give my life for God and I make the ultimate sacrifice of my life, that at that point, my life will be poured out, right? He's saying that, no, like even right now, as I'm doing these things, as I'm challenged and I'm suffering, I see it as this, 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 uh, that I'm pouring my life out as this expensive thing, the best that I could possibly give to the Lord as a sacrifice to him. That he didn't see the, 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 the greatest gift of his death as his offering. But what Paul's saying here is that he understood that the sacrifices he made in his life, this was the living sacrifice that Paul is talking about, right? Like he understood that this is worship. It's worship when I can understand that, yes, I'm in a challenging situation right now, but this is me pouring out my love and pouring out my life to a God who I so desperately love, right? This is what he's saying. He's like saying, I get to pour out my life as a drink offering. And because that's my perspective, that this isn't a have to, this is a get to, I can rejoice because I understand that what I'm doing is I'm pouring out my most precious thing as an act of worship to you. But you know, I ask myself this question very regularly. Because I mean, we've all heard these concepts before, right? That our life is a living sacrifice and you know, that, that, that we want our life to be, you know, this sweet smelling fragrance to the Lord. But honestly, going through some of the situations and challenges that I've gone through in my life, I find myself regularly asking myself, or like, how could Paul be in prison, right? Like, you know, and, and not just like, you know, country club prison, which is still horrible, I'm sure. But I mean like, chained to Roman guards 24 hours a day, facing possible execution, right? Like at any moment, they could walk in the room and be like, well, the order's been given. It's time to, you know, go chop your head off or whatever. Then Paul finds himself in this crazy situation. And yet his response is still to rejoice. And man, I've spent so much time reading through the letters of Paul. I've spent so much time studying the life of Paul. And I've realized there's one thing that in Every struggle, every challenge, every trial that Paul goes through, there's one common thread in Paul's life. And that is, 
Paul is not at the center of his story. Jesus is the center of Paul's story. Can I tell you something? The reason why Paul could be in prison awaiting a potential probable execution is because he understood, man, this, is, this story is not about me. And it's not me at the center of this. And my life is not here and being lived in order to make sure that my life gets the absolute best. No, no, you see, I'm not at the center of my story. Jesus is at the, the center of my story. And can I tell you something? When Jesus is at the center of everything, there is always a reason for us to rejoice, right? Like Jesus in the center of any challenge that you could face in life. If we could put him in the center, can I promise you something, church? You will always find something to rejoice about. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. He says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, right? So he's, he's going on and he's talking to the church about, you know, he wanted to come as a pre preacher. He comes as a prisoner. And this is what he has to say about it. I want you to know, because he, I'm sure that all the churches are like really bummed. They're like, you know, Paul's coming and he's going to come preach to us. And this is going to be so great. And Paul's going to Rome. And, you know, finally, we're going to not be persecuted anymore because the whole world is going to be converted to Christianity. And then they find out he goes as a prisoner and they're all bummed. And this is what Paul says. He says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Right? How many of you know Paul had the right to write anything he wanted? It was his letter. But you see, Paul chose not to complain because he chose to change his perspective. Right? Look, I know I wanted to go as a preacher, and I know that I went as a prisoner, but here's the deal. Because it's not me at the center of my story, because it's Jesus at the center of my story. Listen, even though I wanted to go to, as a preacher and I went as a prisoner, here's the deal. The gospel is still being preached. That even though I went as a prisoner, let me tell you, it has actually served to advance the gospel. And verse 13 says this, he says, as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, right? This is Paul saying like, yeah, you think that I'm the prisoner. What you don't understand is that I have a different Roman guard, two of them being chained to me eight hours a day, every hour of the day, 24 seven, 365 days a year. Listen, they're chained to me. I got the most powerful, prominent people in the, in, in, in the Roman empire chained to me 24 hours a day. Who do you think is actually the prisoner? Right? This isn't what I would have chosen. I wanted to come as a preacher, but I'm here as a prisoner. But here's the deal. I'm choosing to find the good in the situation. Why? Because the situation went the way he wanted to? No. Because Paul understood, God, you are always good. And even when I don't understand it, I know that you're working things out for my good. I can remember an old preacher I heard made this statement. This would have been years ago. I feel like this was at a tent meeting when I was in my teens, but it stuck with me. 
He said that when you're down to nothing, you can definitely know that God is up to something. Right? That if I'm here, if I'm in the situation that I'm in, God must have a purpose. God must have a reason. God must have a lesson. There must be something here that I need to learn. There must be something here that's detrimental to my growth. There must be an assignment. There must be a reason. There must be a purpose. Listen, it might not be what you want, but it doesn't mean that God can't use it. Now, here's the thing. In Paul's life, Paul was chained to a Roman guard. And here's my question to you. What are you chained to? You may be chained to a job that isn't going the way that you want it to go, that it's not happening. Maybe you're chained to a health issue. Maybe you're chained to a relational challenge. This is what Paul came to teach us, that if we can't change our negative circumstances, if we can't change them, if you can change it, change it. But if you can't, we need to change our perspective. Now listen, I didn't come here today to to belittle what you're going through. I, I mean, I'm sure that here's the deal. The majority of us could complain all day long. And honestly, probably the majority of us would be justified in doing it. Or we could simply change the way that we look at the situation, right? When we can't do anything about it, what we can do is we can choose to look for God in the middle of it. I can choose to let this situation work something on the inside of me. I can choose to let this situation build my trust and and challenge my faith as I stand firm in the midst of what seems like an impossible situation. I can stand in the middle of this and and let myself, let let my roots, let my belief in the truth of God's word go down deeper and deeper as things try to challenge me. Listen, all I can do in these situations is change my perspective and look for God. And this is where Paul's phrase is, right? Even if. He says, I didn't, this is not the way I wanted it to go. And it, it wouldn't be my first choice of how I would get to reach to the, the Roman civilization. But he says, even if I'm being poured out, I will rejoice. Can I tell you for whatever it is in your life, right? Even if you don't get that job, right? Even if you're not married by this time next year, even if you're financially strapped for another season, even if you continue to face new challenges and new difficulties, Listen, even if we face these things, we choose to rejoice. I choose not to complain. I choose, right, instead of seeing the problem, my choice is I'm going to see the divine possibilities, that I'm not going to look for the obstacles, but I'm going to look to find the God opportunities that he has for me. Right? I'm not focusing on what I don't have, but I'm going to choose to be thankful for the 
things that I do have. Why? Because I'm so great? No, because you don't understand. I'm not the center of my story. Jesus is the center of my story. And this is what it says in Psalms chapter 103. I, I love what David, who wrote this psalm, says in Psalms chapter 103, verses 2 to 5. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Right now, you know, David doesn't necessarily have the same reputation as Paul, right? He definitely had seasons of complaints, but, but in this moment, he's reminding himself, he's, he's telling himself, listen, there's going to be some things you go through in life that you can't change. And instead, he says, let me never forget the good things he does for me, forgives my sins and heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. And he fills my life with good things. Now listen, I don't know who I'm speaking to. Maybe you're online right now. Maybe you've never been to our church before. Maybe you accidentally clicked this link and somehow you made it all the way through. Maybe your life is difficult. Maybe it's challenging. Maybe it isn't what you thought it was supposed to be. Maybe it's not going the way you thought it was supposed to go. But can I tell you something? Instead of looking for what's wrong, instead of you know, seeking out the negative in every situation, instead of expecting things to happen in our life that we would complain about, instead of grumbling, instead of murmuring, instead of complaining about the situations that we're in, instead of that, let's focus on what Jesus has done for us. Let's focus on what's good in our life. Let's focus on, like the Apostle Paul said, what's good and lovely and pure and of good report. Let's focus on the good and things that we have to be thankful for in our life. And, and that's why we have the ability then to go through those even if situations, right? Like even if I go through situations where I'm poured out, and even if I go through troubles, and even if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, I can rejoice because I have a lot to praise God for. So when my life is poured out like a drink offering, I can rejoice because I know God is good. So Heavenly Father, I pray for every person, every man, every woman, every child who has taken the time to listen to this message. Lord, our heart's desire is not to be at the center of our stories. We don't want to spend our whole lives seeking our own pleasures, our own comforts. But Father, we know that you have a plan for our life. And we choose to put you at the center of our story. Lord, I'm asking for every person who maybe has gone through a challenging season. Maybe the season of COVID has honestly just made us into complainers. Maybe we've spent so much time listening to the news on social media and we found ourselves in these cyclical cycles of complaining about the next news feed and we honestly feel stuck. 
Father, I'm asking for your grace to rest heavily on us as we choose to change the things we can change and to change our perspectives about the things that we can't change. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And, and before I close the service today, I just want to say if, you, if you're on the stream and you've never had a relationship with Jesus or maybe you've spent years and you're far from him and you're like, listen, I, I need this Jesus in my life. I'm this guy. I'm this compulsive complainer. I'm stuck in a lifestyle of complaining and I need hope in order to get out of it. The Bible tells us that if we simply confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, that we'll be saved and that we'll enter into this relationship with Him. So as a church family, whether you're at our campus in Fort Erie in one of our Buffalo Lighthouses, you're online watching the stream, I'm gonna ask us one big family, let's just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God sent from heaven to be the Savior of this world. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Cleanse me, fill me, lead me, and guide me. In Jesus' name, amen.